Hello and welcome to the C3 Sunderland podcast. We are so glad that you're here. We're believing that you'll be filled with faith and encouraged by hope as you tune into this message today. journey. If, you, if you've got your Bible, please turn to Exodus chapter 3 from verse 1. I read. Um, I'll just give you a couple of minutes to get there. It's up there. Okay. Thank you. All right. So um, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him, um, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals or your shoes, for the place where you are standing is the holy ground. Praise God. Let's pray together before we start. Holy Spirit, we give you praise. Lord, this is your moment. We ask that you go beyond our preparations, go beyond our contemplations. Let your word come strong. Let your word come unhindered. Let there be a revelation of Jesus. Let there be a transformation of lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, It's been an interesting series. If you missed part one and two, I suggest you kindly check um, the YouTube videos. Um, So, uh, Pastor Kat already gave a kind of foundation on, on part one of the series. And then last week, Pastor Ian also did a very good um, work in terms of taking it to another dimension where we looked at commissioning. Um, Today, we will be considering um, holy ground, mind your heart. That's the topic for today. Mind your heart. Um, Feel free to respond. Feel free to scream. Feel free to (laughs) participate. Yeah, that's, that's more like it. Thank you. All right. So let's go. Um, I actually have four questions today, and we'll consider the questions, kind of have a reflective view of um, Moses, why Moses, and all that, and then we'll pray at the end of the day, hopefully trusting that the Holy Spirit will have his way and do what he already planned to do today. Praise God. Great. Okay, so um, the first question we'll be looking at is, what is consecration? And why is it necessary, even when I'm already saved? Um, 
well, consecration is actually an act of separating, reserving, and dedicating someone or something to God for a specific service. So um, you separate somebody from a group of people, reserve the person, prepare the person, and then um, commission the person to fulfill a specific task for God. And um, it involves partnership with the Holy Spirit. It involves um, you making yourself available for the Holy Spirit to fill you up and then do his thing with you and through you. So um, here's Moses. Um, he was just tending the flock of his father-in-law, and then God caught his attention through a flame of fire. We'll consider that in a minute. But um, have a look at this analogy. Um, I was hoping to see our keyboard, but it's not here today. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, we all know the keyboard, right? The keyboard is like you, a believer, a child of God, someone created by God. It's got different keys. That means you've got talents. Um, it's got different octave. I'm not very good in music. <laughs> Pastor Kat is here to correct me. Okay. <laughs> so um, that's like you. That's like me, the keyboard, right? But then the keyboard needs something to function. First of all, it needs to be plugged to the mains. It needs to connect to power. We don't see electricity, right? But we can feel its impact. So without electricity, the keyboard wouldn't function. So um, someone has to be available to pick up the cord or the cable and then connect the keyboard to the source of power. That action of connecting the keyboard to the source of power is consecration. So anything that will connect you back to your source, which is God, that's your consecration. Okay. Now, that's one aspect of it. There's another dimension to it. Um, the keyboard is now connected and plugged, powered up, but it's not going to make music on its own. So you need another skillful player to be available, someone that understands music, you know, like Ben. I don't know if Ben plays keyboard. I know he plays brass guitar. Okay, so, so Ben is going to come up and then play music, you know, different chords. And as the music comes forth, people get blessed, people get lifted, people worship freely. And then in this picture is the Holy Spirit. So that's the picture of consecration. First of all, you need to be available. Someone has to take the cord and connect it to God. That's your consecration. And then the Holy Spirit has to be there to play the keys so that through the gift set and the talents that God has given you, you'll be a blessing to your generation. Praise God. Okay, so um, why Moses? Um, that's the next question. So the first question was consecration. What's consecration? Why consecration? And we've answered that. So the next one is why Moses? Um, What kind of vessel does God use? Why Moses? Okay, let's take a journey into the life of Moses. If you come back to Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, Moses was born in a time where, uh, we may not have to read, or I'll just breeze through because of time. He was born in a time where um, the king, Pharaoh, had given a decree that every male child should be thrown into River Nile. Now, um, the children of Israel, um, we all know how, to, how they journeyed down to Egypt um, through Joseph. 
God used Joseph to preserve the generation. After a while, Joseph died. The Pharaoh that helped them died, you know? And they waxed so strong and became a threat. So the Egyptian government came up with a device to keep them under. So they became slaves. They started building a city for Pharaoh. And even at that, they still waxed strong. So Pharaoh came up with a strategy. He admonished all the midwives to kill every male child that is born to a Hebrew woman. So um, scripture says the midwives feared the Lord, so they didn't do that. And then Pharaoh summoned them, how dare you disobey um, one of the most powerful leaders on earth at that time? And they gave him an excuse. They said, before we get there, the Hebrew women already put to bed. So um, we just couldn't do anything about it. And Pharaoh gave another decree. He said, every male child should be drowned in River Nile. And that was when Moses was born. And scripture says his mom looked at him and saw that he was a proper child. They just couldn't kill him. They just couldn't drown him. Um, they tried to hide him for a while, but after a while, his cries became a threat to their lives. So his parents had to give him up. They put him in a basket, took him to the bank of River Nile, and left him there. Um, if you know a little about River Nile, you know that it has very wild crocodiles. They don't need any invite. Just, just, just come over around, they will show up. And somehow, God preserved the baby. And then his sister was there watching, and the king's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter came to have a bath and was caught, you know, her attention was, you know, her attention was drawn to the basket. She went over, picked the basket, and then Moses' elder sister, who had been watching closely, ran to her to say, can we get someone to nurse this baby for you? And then she goes, yeah, fine, get me someone. So the girl ran home and brought Moses' mom. So that's how Moses got reconnected to his mom again. Good news. And a few months into his life, oh, he had to be weaned. Okay, so he's, gone, he's done. Um, taking breast milk, he had to be taken back to Pharaoh's daughter. So again, he gets cut off from his parents and now back to Pharaoh's house. He grew up in Pharaoh's house, was raised as a prince um, because every male child in the palace would be trained to become a prince. But he knew he would never have access to the throne. Um, have you had that feeling where you're somewhere, you're good enough for something, but you just know it will never come to you? That's the place he was. So it wasn't a perfect life. He was in the palace, but it wasn't a perfect life. So he rather derived pleasure going out to check out on the Hebrew guys. Probably his mom whispers to his ears when he was a, a little baby that, hey, someday, just like Joseph, you will become strong and deliver us from the children of Israel. So he grew up looking up to be a deliverer. He grew up looking up to someday ascend the throne as Pharaoh and deliver the people of Israel again. But that never happened. Um, one day, he saw um, the Hebrew taskmasters, you know, um, punishing, um, a, sorry, Egyptian taskmasters, punishing a Hebrew man. And then he ran and tried to intervene in the process. He slew um, the Egyptian, and the guy died. So um, here's Moses born with a death sentence, raised for a few months by his mom, cut off from his family, grew up in a palace, never fit in. Now he's a murderer, manslaughter, maybe. 
But then somebody has died anyway. So he hid the corpse and he thought nobody saw him. Another day he saw two Hebrew men fighting and in his mind thinking, oh, I'm raised to be a deliverer. He rushed in again, tried to separate the fight. And they go, um, one of them was like, have you come to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? So that's how he got to know that, oh, people actually saw what happened. And after a while, Pharaoh heard about it. When Pharaoh heard about it, he was sentenced to death. The Bible did not paint a clear picture of how he escaped. The Bible told us he fled from Pharaoh. We don't know if he bribed security men or something, but he, he ran away anyway. So he ran 300 to 400 miles to Midian. And this is a prince that was supposed to save his people running away from the very task he was born to do. Like the keyboard, he had keys, he had talents, but he wasn't connected. Okay, so that's, that's the life of Moses. It doesn't look like a perfect life, right? But when you read chapter 3 from verse 1, you'll see God calling him. You'd feel this guy had a very solid relationship with the Holy Spirit to be in this place, to see a burning bush. But he's just like one of us. He had failures. He had successes. He had regrets. He was even a murderer. Okay. So here's Moses. Guess when he, when he ran to Midian, guess how old he was? 40. I would have read, um, because of time, I'll skip the scripture again, but um, you can find that in Acts chapter 7, verse 23. Um, so Moses was 40 years when he got to Midian, and then he tried to put a past behind him. Now the past is Egypt, okay? Now he's in Midian. He had to take up a job. He had to survive. He became a shepherd from the palace, from where people were serving him, from where people were there, you know, to do whatever he wanted, as the first son, adopted son of the princess, here he is working for a Midianite who was a priest who did not know God. Um, uh, isn't it funny how we are so anointed and yet we have to take up jobs to work for people that don't know God? But we're still anointed. So sometimes you feel, God, I shouldn't be here with all this grace. What, what am I doing here? That's median. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You feel you, you, you can actually give much more than where you are. That's median. So um, Jethro gave him a wife. Very um, strategic businessman. I don't know if you know about the Midianites. If you recall, the Midianites and the Ishmaelites were the guys that bought Joseph. So they are business-oriented. Midian, by the way, in today's world, is somewhere in Saudi Arabia. So Moses actually ran from Egypt by foot to Saudi Arabia. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. So here's Moses in Midian. Midianites are business-oriented. They are very intelligent. So Jethro thought, this guy is hardworking. This guy is coordinated. Being raised a prince, you'd learn how to do things well. This guy is, is hardworking. He's faithful. I think I should keep him. So Jethro gave him one of his seven daughters. And then Moses married Zipporah. That's the life of Moses. So here's the prince. He's now in a strange land, married to a strange lady. He probably didn't know. And then he gave birth to his first son, Geshrom. 
the name of the boy means I'm a stranger and I'm in a strange land. It sounds like somebody that says, I don't even know what's happening with me. I don't know. God gave me so much promises, but I don't understand my life. That's Moses. So that's Midian. And then fast forward to chapter 3. God then appeared to him. Scripture says um, he took Jethro's sheep to the back of the desert. I never knew the desert had the back. So he went to the back of the desert to look for green pasture. And in the process of doing that, he encountered God at a place called Horeb. So I'll stop there about the life of Moses. So there are three places we've looked at. We looked at Egypt, a place of bondage, a place where you don't really get what you feel you should get, a place where the system doesn't just favor you, a place where the government makes decrees that would leave you with death sentence, a place where you have lived in sin, you have actually slaughtered someone, you've got blood stains on your hands. That's Egypt. And then he moved to Midian, a place where God is silent. Do you know how long he spent in Midian, the wilderness? 40 years. So the first 40 years of his life, he had a death sentence. The next 40 years of his life, he tried to make it right, but he didn't hear the voice of God for 40 years until he got to Horeb. So Horeb is a thought spot. Horeb is a place of encounter with the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you are, if you're still caught up in Egypt, maybe pains from the past, maybe strings from the past, not letting you really break into what God has for you. I don't know if you're in Midian, a place where you're just working away, where you're putting in so much and receiving little, where they've given you conditions and terms that don't quite align with your personality. Or I don't know if you've come to Horeb, where you've actually encountered God and God has given you an instruction to perform. These three aspects were um, the aspects that kind of summarized the life of Moses. And the good thing is, okay, so God appeared to him at 80 when he got to Horeb, and he would also spend another 40 years fulfilling what God had called him to do. So we see three pockets of 40 years. First 40 years, slave. Second 40 years in the wilderness, preparing. And then the last 40 years, he actually got into what God has called him to do. Um, that's to signal to you that it's never too late yeah. when you're working with God, you know. It may look as if you've lost time. There's no hope. You're actually running too late. But God is the master planner. Trust him. Whether you're in Egypt or in Midian or you've come to Horeb, there is a hand that's guiding your journey. You're still important. You're still a vessel that God is willing to use. He doesn't just use perfect people, just like we've seen from the life of Moses. He uses people like us. Praise God. Amen. Someone excited. <laughs> okay, praise God. Okay, so let's go to the next question. Oh, how much time have I got? I don't know. I've lost track of time. <laughs> okay. Oh, great. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Okay, good to know we have time. So let's go to the next question. Um, 
So what was it about Moses? If this guy is a murderer, I mean, <laughs> if this guy has made so much mistakes, he even married an unbeliever, let's put it that way, Zipporah. What was it about him that caught God's attention? Um, I tried to search for that while I was getting ready. And somehow, the Lord led me to Numbers chapter 12. Sarah, please help. Numbers chapter 12. Um, sorry, we've skipped Exodus. We're leaving Exodus now. We're moving to Numbers. Verse 3. It says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Let's see verse 13. A whole lot happened, so I'm just going to skip, 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 skip to 13. All right? Okay. Um, so Moses cried out to the Lord, please God, heal her. Okay, so Moses got to a stage where, okay, he, he, he already got to Horeb, right? We're, we're still following the story. Now, Horeb is a place of encounter, right? You encounter the Holy Spirit. And it's not just one encounter. So there are multiple encounters. And he drags you deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's, that's, how, that's how consecration works. It keeps, you, it keeps you there so that anytime the Holy Spirit has something to pour, you're available. And then he pours on you. This guy that was running away from Pharaoh later became a man that would speak and interact face-to-face -face with God. God would tell him, come to the mount. I need to talk to you about these children of Israel. At this stage, God told him, you know what? They are so stubborn. Let me kill all of them. He actually single-handedly, through the help of the Holy Spirit, led 600,000 men out of Egypt, not counting females and then children. Um, some Bible scholars say it's about 3 million people. One man led 3 million people out of Egypt into the promised land, on their way to the promised land. Now, along the line, these people became very disobedient to God because they wanted everything. Um, there's no water. We're thirsty. And then he would, God would lead him to bring water. Uh, there's no food. God would provide food. There's no these. So they kept on grumbling, and God got tired of them. God actually told Moses, allow me to kill every one of them. I will raise a new generation through you. I would still fulfill my word to Abraham through you. And can you picture where God is tired of a situation? And then a man is telling God, no, you can't do this. That's the kind of heart he had. Um, the, 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 the version we read said he was humble. Another translation puts it this way. He was meek. Meekness. Your ability to kind of not just feel pity for people, but meekness is like a higher level of empathy. You're not just putting yourself in their place. You're actually interceding for them. You're trying to, God, you can't kill them. You can't do this. And God's like, I'm tired of them, but I'm not. You called me to do this. I can fix this. That's the kind of heart he had. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. Um, God actually gave out the criteria, more like criterion because it's just one, that he looks out for while selecting any vessel. So he's not looking at your perfection, how good your life is, how together you've been, how well, cool, calm, and collected you look, but he looks at something. Are we there? 
When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Another story, um, background story. God had instructed Samuel to go anoint a new king to replace Saul because Saul had grown a heart of disobedience. Saul um, had built um, a name around himself. So Samuel got there, and this was what happened. Um, he was meant to select one of Jesse's sons, and when he got there, um, Jesse brought up the first son. He was already in the army, well-built, broad-chested, nice-looking, called Eliab. When Samuel saw Eliab, he thought, surely that's the guy. I just need to anoint him. I just need to consecrate him. Uh, next verse. Thank you. And then the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God's criterion for choosing anybody to do any specific assignment for him is the state of your heart, the posture of your heart. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, but he looks at your heart. Moses killed someone. It wasn't intentional probably, but God saw his heart. This guy is able to stand in the place. He's, he's able to stand in the gap. He's able to stop the anger of God from going beyond him. Do you know after his encounters with God on the mountain, when he came down, people couldn't literally look at him because the glory of God was all over. They had to go and bring, they had to look for a veil to cover his face. They were like, we can't just look at your face. They had to cover his face because he had grown in the place of encounter. You grow in Horeb, you grow in the place of encounter with the Holy Spirit until his nature rubs off on you. That's what happens in Horeb. Praise God. And someone is coming into their Horeb today in the name of Jesus. Okay, so the next question, what do I need to watch out for? If God really looks at my heart, what do I need to do? Now, um, Satan isn't everywhere like God. He's not as brilliant as our God, but he's also an intelligent spirit. He studies patterns. Satan is not everywhere. Satan, Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient, but he studies patterns. So he doesn't need to know my future, he can look at my dad and look at my grandfather and look at my great-grandfather to study my gene, you know. He, he will know the kind of thing that runs in our lineage. Um, so he'll also offer me the same. He can guess your talents. That's why you see a lot of talented people um, not ending up in the church because he can guess. It's the same talent that God's going to use. If, he's got, if, you, if you've got skills to play keyboard, is the same skill that the Holy Spirit will use when he comes on you. And that's the same thing that happens. When the, when the devil possesses someone, it's the same skill he's going to use. So now, Satan looks at um, three aspects of life in order to attack your consecration. His goal is to get to your heart. As long as he can get you disconnected from your source, he's done his job. The rest is history. Demons will wrap up. So here's what he does. Um, 
um, Matthew chapter 1 is a long read from verse 1 to 13. We will not have to read all, all of that. But then, um, here's Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. He just went into the wilderness to fast. And after he has fasted 40 days, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, turn this stone to become bread. Is he the Son of God? Yeah. But he doesn't necessarily need to obey Satan to prove that he is the Son of God. But remember, Scripture says he was hungry. If you fast for 40 days, I don't even know. Probably, <laughs> you probably won't stand up. <laughs> You'll call Rita from wherever you are, please. <laughs> send food. <laughs> I can't make it to the kitchen, send food. <laughs> so... Imagine Jesus was this hungry, and then devil comes to say, convert the stone to bread. So that's, that's what he does. So the first thing devil will attack is your flesh. So um, three things that he tries to attack in order to break your consecration. Number one is um, lust. Um, Zara, can you help us go to 2 Timothy chapter 2? You there? You're just a blessing. Thank you. You make life easy. All right, so in a large house, there are articles not only of gold, silver, or wood, some are for special purposes and some for common use. Let's go to the next. Those who cleanse themselves from these letter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. Thank you. You can leave it there for a while. Now, you're like a vessel that God wants to use, right? Um, now, imagine in that state of hunger, you rush into, you finally crawl to the kitchen, and then your choice plate is dirty. What will you do? You look for the nearest available. In fact, if there's no plate, you probably go for a foil <laughs> just to dish your food. That's what this place is saying. Just keep yourself clean. Keep your heart clean, and God will use you. So the first thing devil tries to attack is he comes through the angle of lust of the flesh. A burning craving to gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't necessarily have to be immorality. I mean, if you're a strong child of God, devil wouldn't come to you throwing um, sex at you and say, yeah, lie down with this person, sleep with it. No, he comes through. It's still the lust of the flesh, but he comes through other things. He could come through alcohol. He could come through... Uh, it could build an addiction around something, maybe drugs. Or it's still lust of the flesh. That's craving to gratify the desires of the flesh. That's lust. Okay? Then the next place he will attack is, um, um, bear with me, let's actually open the scriptures so we can have a look. First John 2.16. Thank you. So the next thing he's going to attack will be lust of the eyes. It's going to show you a whole lot. First John 2.16. For everything that is in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three areas that Satan is going to attack your heart. He comes through lust of the flesh, hunger. For Jesus, it was hunger. He had fasted for 40 days. There's no way he was going to fall into the sin of fornication if the if devil had brought a woman. So the devil used a, a situation that he could relate to, hunger, lust of the flesh. Come on, speak to the stone. It's going to be bread. And then you just feel your tummy and move on. But Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Hallelujah. Yeah. Okay, so the second one is the lust of the eyes. 
Um, another thing devil tries to do is to show you stuff and make you desire those things at the detriment of your faith. He did it to Eve. He walked into the garden. He said, has God said you shouldn't eat any of these trees? He knew God told them to eat of the trees, but then he was going somewhere. And scripture says, Eve, Eve started explaining, she cleared her throat. <clears throat> no, 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 God is not that wicked. We could actually eat everything except this one. Oh, that one. And then if you look at Genesis again, Bible said, when Eve looked again, it became appealing. So he did the same to Jesus. He took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glories. And he said, I know you came here to be a king. I can make it easy for you. Just bow down. I'll hand over. I'm in charge. Remember, Adam fell and he took over. So he goes, just bow down and I'll give it to you. Um, how do we apply that to our lives? Uh, have you seen scenarios where you just need to maybe falsify a record a little bit just to get away with it? Or maybe tweak your CV a little bit just to land that job? You know, lost of the eyes. He shows you the salary. Come on, this is mind-blowing. Just tweak it. You know, just cheat. Just see. He shows you stuff. So, this scripture tells us the second area he's going to tempt you, he's going to break your consecration, is the lust of the eyes. Um, technology is very good. I'm a very big fan of technology. But then, um, yeah, Jesus, we will use technology to preach the gospel. Again, Satan tries to use technology as well to get to our consecration. Um, most of the social media platforms are built in a way that they break your concentration. So they show you stuff. You discover, you can just be on your phone and you're just flipping away, picture after picture, clip after clip, no, no hunger to pray at that time. You just, you just get excited for two seconds and then you see next and then the next and then again next and then it creates that dopamine effect. Eventually your battery dies and you get angry. <laughs> <laughs> Lost of the eyes. All he has done is he's engaged you that period. Probably if you were connected, you would have heard the Holy Spirit say, pray for someone. But at that time, I'm not saying it's bad to you, social media. Please, I am a big fan of <laughs> social media, right? But then um, watch what the devil tries to do. When he begins to break your consecration, when he begins to interfere with your time of prayer, when, be when it becomes where you wake up from, and where you retire to at the end of the day, you need to begin to watch that. So the next one, pride of life. Satan took Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to the holy temple. Imagine you picture Jesus going to the temple. You know he was man, so we would see him. And we wouldn't see Satan, right? He was walking to the holy temple. Who's leading him? Satan. And then takes him to the highest point of the temple and goes... God has given his angels charge over you because you're the son of God. Jump. They're going to catch you. And that's the third one, pride of life. When you allow the successes that you have attained to come in between you and God. In fact, to put it short, when you delete God from your story, that's pride of life. When you delete God from your story. Have you heard this, have you heard this phrase, self-made? Yeah. 
watch it. That's pride of life. Satan shows you all your successes. Oh, look at your mates. They are all far behind. And you're the only one that has made it this far. Come on. You deserve some accolade. And in your heart, you're like, oh, I've done well for myself. Where is God in your story? Pride of life. You need to watch that. So these are the areas he's going to come to attack you. He may not throw arrows. He knows you'll pray and stop those things. But these are the things that are appealing to us that we can relate to, you know. He will come and he'll tell you, um, you're, the, you're the person that actually achieved. Can you, can you imagine what you've done? You actually moved this from point A to point B all by yourself. Make it a point of duty. To ask yourself where God is in your story. Ask yourself questions about God in your story. I used to have a friend that, um, Femi, I know, he walks in very, very rare kind of word of knowledge. You can just walk in and then Femi will tell you exactly what has happened in your life yesterday and what God is going to do the next. He's so precise. And I'm like... Boy, uh, we, we used to live together back then. We sleep in the same room. We have our devotion almost the same time. How come you hear God so clearly? And then he said, CJ, I'll show you my secret. So one day, I went out and I saw, we, we used to have, it was a hostel. So we used to have a roster of people that would um, clean up the premises. and all. They were cleaners, right? So Femi would go and meet the guys in charge and tell them to put his name. And you come out, come out and check the roster, you'd see Femi, 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 Femi. I'm like, guy, is it punishment? What's happening? He said, no, that's how I stay humble. I go clean the toilets for everyone to use. That's the instruction God gave me. So that I wouldn't think I'm so good and I've attained a height that God is... I'm like, oh, that's your secret. Okay, I'm going to try this. So... The next week, for the first week, it was the next month, it was Femi, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, CJ, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I'm like, oh, God. And I learned the place of service. It keeps you humble. It keeps you in check. You wouldn't, take, you wouldn't dare take the glory when you serve. Jesus knew this. He actually showed us this. It got to a point where he took up towels and be, he started washing the, the feet of the apostles. Remember the roads were not tired, so the feet must have been very muddy and dirty. He used his own towel to clean and to wash their feet. So these are the three areas that devil will tempt you. How do you build around these areas as we begin to round up? Um, how do you protect yourself from lust of flesh? One good thing, Bible says that the flesh lusted against the spirit and the spirit against the, the flesh. Both of them are in a conflict in you. The, your spirit wants to connect to God. Again, your flesh wants freedom from God. I don't, want, I don't want to pray. I don't want this. I don't want to stay in God's presence. How do you strike a balance? Um, uh, because of time, I'll just give one instance. Fasting. Fasting is the answer. Oh, CJ, I've got ulcer. No problems. You must not do 40 days like Jesus. You don't even have to do 24 hours. You can skip your lunch. You know your lunch time where you catch up with friends, hang out, have fun, 
skip, just dedicate one day a week, one. Lord, Lord, every Friday, every Tuesday, I'll just keep my lunch and stay. That one hour break or two hours break, I just want to stay on the word so that you can speak to me. If you're going to fast and not pray or read the word, please have your meal, have your drink. <laughs> That's just hunger strike. <laughs> so just start with, start with one hour. It, make, it, make it a dedicated time that heaven would know every Tuesday I'm going to find grace here. Trust me, do it for a month or more. You would see God. Holy Spirit would wait for you there before you arrive. So have that dedicated time. As he gives you grace, then you can expand it more than an hour. You can do morning till 12. You can wake up and say, okay, God, I'm skipping my meals this month, the month of October, um, my lunch or my breakfast every Tuesday. Um, I'm going to dedicate this to you. When you do that, something happens. Your flesh becomes very weak over time if you keep fasting. And your spirit becomes alive. At that time, your spirit is ready to pick instructions from God. And that will keep you consecrated. So imagine you have a, a day in the week where you always come to a place to interact with the Holy Spirit. No matter what has happened, let's say it's a Tuesday, no matter what the devil does on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the worst case scenario, by Tuesday, you're back in God's presence. Dear Lord, I messed up last week. Help me. That keeps you. How do you overcome um, lust of the eyes? It's simple. Let's use one example. Meditation. Social media shows you so many things because the devil doesn't want you to focus, right? So he shows you this. Ah, Ben has got this. Ah, Pastor Carter has posted this picture. These are nice people. Let, let's talk about it. <laughs> that's, you, you know the kind of people I'm talking about. Oh, that celebrity has got this. Oh, this has happened. You're just following the whole news on earth. You're not, you don't work for BBC. Come on. Calm down. <laughs> just calm down. Keep your focus. Meditation helps to keep your focus. You don't, you don't necessarily need to read the entire Bible. Just look for a verse. Combine one and two. Lord, I'm waiting for, on you every Tuesday. My lunchtime, one hour, is dedicated to you. And then again, Lord, I just want to study the book of Ephesians that period. Don't rush all. Pick three verses. Stay on it. Holy Spirit, what does this mean? He will show you a picture. Scripture says, if your eye be single, your body will be full of light. Insight comes. You would read the scripture again, and then you have another meaning. It would show you a new dimension, you know. So meditation helps to break the habit of the lust of the eyes. And then pride of life, how do you fix it? It's simple. Serve. Any opportunity that you find in the house of God, jump at it. If it's to watch the mocks after service, please do. It helps you. It helps your spirit to stay humble. These are the three areas. Um, we can actually begin to pray now. Um, we'll be praying in three dimensions. We'll be praying against the impact of Egypt. We'll also be praying against, we'll be praying for your journey if you're in the wilderness, if you're in Midian, if you're in the phase where you're being tested and tried and trained in the school of God's 
grace. And then we'll also be praying for you if you're in Horeb. One encounter is not just enough. On countless occasions, Moses had to go back to God. At a stage, Moses said, you know what? Send someone else. But then God was available to help him beyond that stage. Or probably you've not even started your journey at all. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. This will be a very good opportunity to say, Lord, I know I was not just born yesterday or today. But just like I've heard, it's never too late to start my walk with you. Guess what? Like the keyboard, you're still positioned there. The Holy Spirit is waiting for you to get connected to the source. He's available to play. He's ready to make your life a wonder. He's ready to make you a blessing to your generation. But he's just waiting. Perhaps this season, she will connect to me. Perhaps this moment she will connect to me. If you're in any of those places, we just want to pray together. If you haven't met the Lord Jesus or He's not in control of your life, let's start with that. I'll need you to just, um, please, let, let's close our eyes in, in prayers. If you, if you haven't met the Lord Jesus, you can just lift your hands. So we'll pray together. If you need him to be the Lord of your life, if you need him to guide you through the next phase or phases of what he's got for you. He said, I know the thoughts and plans I have towards you. They are thoughts and plans of good and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. The future is secured in Christ. Don't bother about worrying. If you're also in Egypt where you're affected so much by the things that happened to you in the past, you know, the pains or the impact of the past has become so real that it's almost crippling your future or your present. I need you to open up your heart to God as well in a place of response. We're going to pray in a minute. Oh, or if you're in, in Midian. While I was preparing for the message, I asked the Holy Spirit to speak clearly. And he categorically said to pray for as many as are going through a phase of their life that symbolizes Midian. A place where you've been able to break away from the past, but you've not quite grasped you know, the, the, the fullness of the future. You're just in a place where it's as, it's as if, where, where is God in my story? Where is God in my matter? How long, Lord, will I wait? You probably have become a shepherd, but that's God preparing you. That's God working on you. That's God teaching you patience. If you can lead the sheep that can't speak, then you can lead my people. You can birth the mandate. You can fulfill my call upon your life. Or probably if you have attained Horeb, you've had an, an encounter with the Lord. You know his hand is upon you. You know his grace has been poured upon you. You know he has released his fullness on you. But you need instruction for the next phase. This is also your moment. 
Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you'd like to know more, visit our website at c3sunderland.church or follow us on Instagram at c3sunderland. We'll see you next time.